0: So every once in a while, I try to go back and bring us forward to where we are and, and why we're doing um, these messages, these series of messages, why I really believe this is, this is the thing that God wanted us to focus on. And, and so we go all the way back to um, October when we first went over, you know, what is, a, what is a healthy church? And we're still printing what a healthy church is. The, from Romans 12, a Romans 12 church. We still print those descriptors on the back and you're invited to go back and listen to the messages and, and be reminded of, of those things. And, and then one of the things that we talked about a healthy church is that a healthy church is, is a church that's, that's focused on discipleship. Being discipled, making disciples. The great commission was that we were to go into all the world and, and make disciples. And disciples are not simply um, meaning that people profess Christ, but that they become disciples of Christ, that they actually become these, these followers, these students who, again, are, are, as I've tried to define discipleship, they're acquiring knowledge about God that is changing them to help them become more like Christ. That's what discipleship is. It's not just acquiring knowledge. But it's acquiring knowledge that meets the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it, it changes us. It makes that knowledge, meeting the Spirit, makes us more like Christ. It confronts areas in our lives where maybe we just didn't know, and it confronts other areas in our lives where, where, where we, we know we need to work, we're weak, we, we have these failings, and we need to be strengthened by God. It... It works through these this baggage that we carry, these grudges that we hold, this this, this so much negativity that we have towards others that we we, we don't want to deal with, we we just want to leave it on the side and we think it's not affecting it, affecting us, but it it pulls us, it pulls us down. And what you know, for what purpose? Is it just so that we can be a healthy church? And the answer is no. Um, it's not just so we can be a healthy church it's not just so that we can help one another it's not just so that we can have a better life here. no God is is wanting us to be a healthy church, a church of disciples so that we might be able then to to spread His kingdom in this world, to be able to help others understand the truths that we have that we understand, to help others to see that God is who he says he is, and he is doing what he says he's doing. So it's not simply, um, it's not simply just so we can have better lives. It's kind of just thrown in. You, you, get, you get a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of benefits to following Christ. It makes our lives richer. But if that's the only reason that we're Christians, we're missing the point. It has to be about more than that. And so we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we dealt with that first section that's called the Beatitudes. And, you know, we talked about the first week, you know, what do disciples feel, and, and disciples have a good perspective on who they are in comparison to God, and, and they have a good perspective on, on, on what is needed in this world. And then we talked about what motivates disciples, what you know, causes us to do what we do. And, and it's the seeking for righteousness, not just for ourselves, but seeking righteousness for the world. And then last week, we talked about what the disciples do. And we said one of the, one of the main things, one of the common things that all disciples do, that whether they're good at it or not, it's, it's, it's what they do and it's in their spirit that they want to do it, is they are peacemakers. And we talked about what, what peace meant and how peace is not simply the absence of conflict, but that they're, they're peacemakers. We seek to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation doesn't just simply mean we all say we're sorry. Reconciliation means that, that the relationship is, is, is not just made whole again, it's made better. That every time we have reconciliation, we're not just returning back to square one but our relationship is better. We know each other better. We're closer. We're stronger. And one of the things that I touched on, but I don't really think that I, I, I emphasized enough is, is, how, is this, how is this possible? How is this peacemaking possible? Because some of us are just kind of peaceful people and some of us are, you know, have kind of a mediating spirit, but, for a lot of us, we're not that way or we have our limits. We can be only to a certain extent. So how is this possible? And at the end, I talked about this real briefly, but I wanted to share with you this this verse from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And who um, Paul is talking about here, he's talking about He's talking to this church at Ephesus and and in this church there's all of these people who are non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles, um, as the Bible calls them. That's who he's talking about, those of you who are far off. He says those of you who are far off. Later on he'll, he'll say those who are near and the ones who are near he's talking about the Jewish people. But he says, in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace This is why we can be peacemakers. This is why at the heart of a healthy church is a spirit of reconciliation. It's because if you have true peace, it's not peace that you generate. It's peace that Jesus established. It's peace that he holds together. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and because we have peace with God, he tears down all of the man-made divisions that we have, whether they're big ones like, um, you know, ethnicity or other things that we have in our world today where, where you might have political divides, whether they're huge ones like that. He tears down those walls, but he also tears down the small ones we keep building up. If, if, if we're a healthy church... And it means not that we all just come here and, and you know, maybe go to people's houses during the week or, and have a good time and we all get along. If we're a healthy church, then we're a church on the move. We're a church reaching out to our community. We're a church, you know, trying to, 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 to proclaim God's gospel to everyone who will hear it and that means we have to think about it we have to discuss it we have to um, you know how do we do that if we all just wanted to come here and and just come here and have our service and go home it's easy to keep peace but when we actually start thinking about what to do when we actually start thinking about how to do those things when we actually start talking about them here's what's going to happen we're going to disagree in fact, we're going to make mistakes. We're, some of us are going to be so sure this is the right decision and it's the wrong decision. Some of us are going to be you know, so sure that, that, that God is saying that we, we, we should be you know, reaching out to the people here in, in this area exclusively. And others are going to say, no, we need to go beyond this place. Some people are going to say, we're not, we're not focused on the world enough. We're just too focused on Hawaii. There's going to be arguments. There may be even people saying, you know we, can, we, we shouldn't be doing stuff on a Saturday night for a worship service. We, you know, worship is meant to be Sunday. And people are going to argue about that. And again, we're going to get it wrong and we're going to disagree. But none of those things... None of those things should be a threat to our unity and our health if our peace is one that Jesus Christ established. Understand? You know, I can only speak for myself, and my wife's not here, so she can't speak for herself. But I will tell you this. My wife and I, have had huge arguments. She's, she's always yelling at me. No, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we have these arguments. We disagree. We, we, we strongly disagree about things. And we have these arguments. And sometimes, you know, she makes me so crazy, you know, I pull out my hair. Um, sometimes I make her so crazy, she gets, she gets so upset. She doesn't even want to talk to me. She's just like, I, I just can't talk about it now. But I'll tell you this, there's only one reason we can have that honest, that raw of discussion. It's because divorce is never on the table. It is never on the table. That vow we made, we didn't just make to each other, we made before God, and that means we can be more honest with one another. We can be more sincere because I'm not afraid that if I say something and I'm wrong that she's just going to take off. And she's not afraid that if she expresses what's in her heart, even if it's going to hurt my feelings, that I'm not going to take off. And because of that, we can grow and our relationship can grow. Because it's never on the table That's how a healthy church is. That's how a healthy church views belonging. That we can be honest with one another. We can have discussions. We can have disagreements. We can make mistakes and not be afraid that if we do, that someone's going to leave or I'm going to leave. It's never on the table. And that makes it tough. It makes it tough because everybody can talk about situations, and I'll tell you, every situation you talk about where maybe, like, a pastor abused his authority or a group in the church tried to take over, I can guarantee you, in all of those situations, you were not dealing with a healthy church. That's why it's so important to me that we keep moving in the direction of being a healthy church. Just one more thought on this is: in my Sunday school class, we've been going through Romans, and we're at the end of Romans eight. Uh, we're, I mean, we're actually in Romans nine, but a couple of weeks ago we finished up with Romans eight. Romans eight, and I was reading these verses, and I realized more of what this is talking about, especially when I connect it back to the Ephesians passage where. It's this famous passage in verse 38. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things in to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is one of the, the great verses in the Bible. But it's also one that I don't think is properly understood Because as soon as we read that, here's what we think. And I know you think it because it's what I think. Whenever I heard this verse, I'm like, God, this is such an awesome verse that nothing I face in this world will ever separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what I thought this verse was all about. I'm not going to say it doesn't talk about that at all. But I think here's the more important truth. The more important truth is that he's not talking to me or you. He's talking to us. He's saying nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And if we are ruled by the love of Christ, we will never divide. Ever. It's funny because he lists all these things, these these things that we think are so huge, angels, rulers, powers, no height, nor depth, anything else in creation. But I want you to think back, and most of us who've been in church for any period of time can probably have a list of of reasons churches have divided or reasons people have given for leaving a church that they could separate, that the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord wasn't powerful enough to hold them together. That's why it's so important to me. It's so important to me that we become a healthy church, not just to be a healthy church, but when we talk about how great is our God, when we talk about how awesome our God is, I was doing a um, seminar yesterday at the Bible Institute of Hawaii. They had a conference, and they asked me to do a seminar on the Trinity, and I was was reminded of this great verse from John 17, verse 21. And it's where Jesus is praying for, for those who would believe, would believe in the testimony of the apostles. In other words, he's praying for us. And he says, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. And then he ends that sentence by saying this, so that the world will know that you have sent me. Our unity, our healthy unity in Christ is one of God's main ways, main displays, main pieces of evidence that he is God. And that he sent Jesus and he is accomplishing what he said he would accomplish. Well, we come into this then kind of irony here because if we get this, if we get this, The way the movie, if Hollywood was making a version of this theology, the way this happens is we all kind of struggle with this. We think about, you know, the love of God. We think about being peacemakers, and we we have our ups and downs, and then all of a sudden we all get it. And the way Hollywood would end this movie is we all get it, and we are all this wonderful, big, happy family. And that's partly true. But, but there's still a world out there. And it's a world that bases its relationships on power. And when your system is based on power, anything that threatens it, you will want to fight. And so, this is... How this goes—it's not we all become this big happy family, and we have this great life and this great church, and and yeah, we have our disagreements, but we all get along in the end, and we work through those things, and we're growing closer to one another. That's not the whole story. As we're going to read today, when we do that, the world is going to take notice. And when the world takes notice, it will be forced to respond. Let's look at what Jesus says at the end of this. The end of the Beatitudes, before he begins to get more specific, as we will become more specific in in the weeks ahead, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's like kind of a downer. It's like, Jesus, you just said all these awesome things and, you know, blessed are the meek and the the poor in spirit and the humble and and all the things that you're going to get, you know, the kingdom of heaven and righteousness and all this stuff. And and so, yeah, okay, we get it. And it'll be hard, but we get it. So now we're supposed to have a party. Now we're supposed to celebrate. You're supposed to end your speech now, Jesus, by giving us a reason to stand up and cheer and say, Yeah. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. What is he telling us? He's saying if you pursue righteousness, if you pursue righteousness, if you're a true disciple, if you are one who is marked by being a peacemaker, and you're part of a community that's marked by being peacemakers, you will be persecuted. you're going to be persecuted. The more you become like Jesus, the more the world wants to treat you like Jesus. How did the world treat Jesus? First thing was to try to Get Jesus to kind of redefine his mission, to kind of get some kind of control over Jesus so they could take this this really powerful, charismatic guy and kind of direct him to their purposes. And that's what's been going on in our culture today. People recognize the power of faith, but it's like, how can I? use that? How can I control that for, for my ends or for my political party's ends or for my organization's ends? It's going on. And that's when we somehow seem to get it right. But how else did the world treat Jesus when they couldn't control him? They killed him. You understand that? You understand when you are saying, I want to become more like Jesus, what you are saying is, I want to become more and more someone that that the world will look at and that if the world doesn't accept the message of what Jesus is saying, they will want to silence it. You understand? We always think about the becoming more like Jesus, being the Christ-likeness, as just being, you know, uh, nicer, being more joyful, having peace, loving, caring about others. And those are all true. But what we sometimes forget is that when the world actually dealt with the real Jesus... They ultimately couldn't deal with him. And so they got rid of him. True disciples will face persecution. If you've managed to live your whole life as a Christian, never faced any level of persecution, you've got to ask yourself, why? How is that possible? Now, I'll tell you, part of it is, you know, we live in a nation that, you know, says freedom of religion. And so maybe we, you know, we don't see that. But I don't think that explains it all. I think part of it is, is that, for one, we don't actually pose a threat to the world system because the world doesn't look at us and say, they're doing something special there. Those Christians, they create these little communities all over the world, and those communities are special. They're something not normal, not like the rest of us. They care about each other in ways that maybe we care about our family that way, but these guys aren't family. We're not persecuted because the world doesn't know us. You know, I went to, I didn't have to go to prison because I learned all of my prison life lessons at high school, I went to a public school, um, Public school voted the most violent school in the state a couple years in a row. Uh, We didn't make t-shirts or bumper stickers to celebrate it, but we all knew it. And one of the things you learned when you're in a school like that is you want to not get hassled, you want to not get, you know, picked on or anything. One of the things you do is just don't draw attention to yourself. Be like Ninja student, get in there, do your thing, get out. Don't be a big old loud mouth, drawing attention to yourself. Don't be bragging all the time about how awesome you are. Just keep going and maybe no one will notice you. And I think that's sometimes our approach in Christianity. Is that we think like, "Ah, no no one's going to notice me. And if they don't notice me, I'm not going to get face any kind of persecution. And so we can live our lives in relative peace. But let me tell you a few things about this persecution. Jesus is very clear that it's persecution for righteousness' sake. It's not persecution because you're a jerk or a punk or you... You know, you say mean things. Some people think persecution is any time somebody opposes them. But no, it's when they oppose you for righteousness' sake. And that's where you get that paradox where you're, you're supposed to be this peacemaker, but the better you are at being a peacemaker, the more conflict you actually stir up. You see, what will happen is if Christians, even a relatively small group of Christians, really started to live out what it means to be a community of faith, one body in Christ, to be one as the Father and the Son are one. If they really started to live that out, and they lived it out in a way that nobody could call them some kind of cult where there's some kind of leader who's mind control or, or they can't say that they're just a bunch of certain personality types that just kind of follow. But there's actually this diverse group that's able to come together in this, this kind of community. If that happens, it takes away people's excuses. They can't say, like, oh, yeah, 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 the Bible teaches all those things, but those things, you know, they're kind of, like, idealistic. No one can, can do that. Or they can, you know, they can have excuses, like, you know, saying, like, you know, you're not even doing it. Why do you think it's true? But when they actually see, when they actually see this truth lived, these disciples in a healthy community coming from every walk of life, this diverse group that has no earthly natural reason to be together, who in fact are more united and more loving than even family relationships. When they see that, they don't got an excuse anymore. And when you don't have an excuse, you are either going to say, I should join them, that's what I want, that's what I've been longing for, and they've proved to me that it's possible. Or you're going to say, we need to get rid of the excuse, we need to get rid of that thing so that we can have excuses, I said that backwards. It's a threat, it's a threat to to this communities that are maybe based on power, Because now this is based on what Jesus has said. So keep in mind, just because you're persecuted doesn't mean you're a disciple. But if you are a disciple, you will be persecuted. You see, as soon as we in the church who claim to have been changed by Jesus Christ, as soon as we start dealing with our problems the way the world does, the world goes, no difference. No problem. But when we do something different, when we live out true Christianity, true Christianity offends people. It challenges them. It makes them choose, join or get rid of. And I just wanna tell you that, I'm not telling you that for any other reason than Jesus told us the same thing. Telling you that to be honest, that when we get this right, the more we become a healthy body of Christ, the more we're gonna face opposition It's just how it is. Well, the second thing we see here is that even when persecuted, even when persecuted, true disciples seek to make peace with those who persecute them. Jesus has said, and Paul will repeat similar words we're to love our enemies. So we get this kind of weird cycle. We get healthier. We become peacemakers. We become one body united in Christ. We're then persecuted by the world. And instead of attacking back, we love those who are persecuting us. And the more we do that, the more they're going to want to persecute. And in case you miss what this idea of love is, it's not just having, you know, positive, happy, warm feelings about somebody. Paul says it in Romans where he says that you bless those who persecute you. You bless them. And what bless means is not to say, oh, bless you. What bless means is that you want them, you want them to have the best they can have. You want them to, To succeed. And so we're placed in this world, and if we're in this world, and in our lives, not just individually, but as a church, we are reflecting who Christ is, we're going to face persecution. And when you do, the response is, be even more like Christ be even more like Christ. And I know that, that that challenges so much of what we think and who we are. It gets to this, this very, this, this core, like, oh, how can we do that? That's, that's crazy, that's naive. It might be, but it's what we see here and it's, it's what Jesus did. Because as we've said before, that if you're going to win your battles with the world, the, when the world wants to persecute you or attack you because of you're, you're showing them another way of living that's not based on power, and you think the only response is to show them you're more powerful than they are, you're just basically taking apart everything that you said you believed. You're validating their system. That's why Jesus didn't do what the Bible says he could have done. The Bible says at any moment, Jesus is getting beaten, he's getting spit on, he's being mocked, he's being just tortured beyond what any of us could endure. And the Bible says at any moment, he could have called a legion of angels to set him free. And he doesn't do it. Because had he done that, if Jesus had said, I'm going to win by destroying my enemies, he would have forever said, that is the right way to live. Just overpower. And I'm God, I'm the son of God, I'm more powerful than you. No, he came to show another way. And so when we understand all this, when we understand that we're persecuted for righteousness, we're persecuted, as he says, uh, on my account, even when they're lying about you. He says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. He doesn't say... Hey, just put up with it. He doesn't say, endure, tolerate, grit your teeth, bite your tongue. He says, rejoice. You know why I know my faith is really small? It's because when I read about the faith of some of the first century Christians who read these verses and lived these verses, and I know unless somehow God's spirit took a hold of me, there's no way I could do what they did. When, when the emperors, especially Nero, who was kind of crazy, you know, when he would persecute the Christians, and they said one of the things he would do is he would, he would, he would prepare them and put them on these posts and, and put, like, wax around them and set them on fire to light his garden. They said, you know, we know like they would, they would be taken to the Colosseum, often having to, to either be killed in some way or, or to have to fight against these wild animals and, and be killed. And I'm sure not all of them did this. But I know history tells us a lot of them, in the midst of that, sang songs. Worshipped, rejoiced. It's funny. It's funny that uh, those uh, those early Christians, who who were in such such more dire cir- cir- circumstances than we ever have been, seem to have so much more joy. so much more joy. Part of the reason they had joy is because they knew they weren't, they weren't being justly persecuted. They know they were being persecuted because they were following Christ. You see, what these disciples were able to do was, was one step beyond what the prophets could do. The prophets were often proclaiming God's word, speaking God's word. But these disciples these first century disciples weren't just speaking God's word, they were living God's word. If, if all I'm doing is speaking truth, someone just needs to shut me up. If all I'm doing is writing truth, someone just needs to take my writing and destroy it. But living truth, living truth simultaneously proclaims the truth And proves it. It's what the world needs to see. It's the evidence. It's the evidence that the world cannot refute. They can still say there's no God. They can still say your God is wrong. My God is right. But what they can't refute is that somehow our belief, our faith has done something to us in a way that's united us in a way that nothing else can. That's why it's important that we be a healthy church. That's why it's important that each of us be disciples, that each of us is becoming more like Christ but that we collectively are becoming more like Christ. It's the body of Christ. Because again, for whatever reason God had, he made this his plan. Tell the world through my people. Show the world through my people. How we live matters. And so in the months ahead, we're going to look even more specifically at some of those those things that matter so much. But at the heart of it all is that we would indeed seek righteousness. And when we face persecution, that we would find it a great joy that we're walking on the right path.